But blessed to be together, and we're going to get into the book of Revelation this morning. And I want to conclude with, um, well, I think one of my favorite parts of Revelation is looking at the subject of what is promised to us in Revelation, eternal life. Let's pray together. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings upon us as we study your word right now that has been revealed by your angels and by the Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Revelation that has come from your Son. Father, we ask that you bless us this morning, that we be encouraged by what we have, that our hope um, be enthused, and that we together will, will be looking forward to eternal life that you bless us with. Uh, Father, give us the courage to be able to talk about these things, to defend the hope that we have within us. Uh, Father, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, this morning we're looking at this, and one of the things I think is often overlooked when you think about eternal life is the picture and the description is usually heaven. And the way that heaven is often described is we talk about heaven kind of like, okay, that's where God is and He's spirit, so it's all spirit. Okay? And there's some problems with that. And this morning, what you won't usually hear me using as a description is to describe the place of eternal life as heaven. And that's not because the Bible doesn't say it's, it's a commonwealth in heaven, according to Philippians. It is the heavenly country. It is the heavenly kingdom. It is in the presence of God and in His presence. This is a place that Christ is preparing. And the reason I do this is also because the Bible doesn't come out and just call the place that. And I'm not saying it's wrong for you to do that. But Jesus says, I go away to prepare a place for you. Now think about this. God, who's eternal, lives in heaven, his place of dwelling eternally, right? So Jesus isn't creating heaven. He's creating a place for us in heaven. And that's what we read about in John chapter 14. And, and I want to emphasize that because I don't want us to get to the point where, well, these details about heaven in the Bible, none of them are really real and we don't know what it's really like. Like, and we don't have a real hope with it. Let's, let's look at what Revelation has to say this morning. We're going to look at some other scriptures that tell us the reality of eternal life in that heavenly kingdom, in that uh, heavenly country, that homeland that God has promised to us. And I recognize that a lot of these pictures within Revelation, you know, we got a lot of symbolism, may not be taken literally. But we're going to talk about that a little bit further. I want you to think about this. Think about the places you've always wanted to travel to. You've always wanted to go on vacation to. You know, some people got it on their mind that they've got to go to Disney World. You know, some people go to Disney World once a year, a lot of times a year. They're fascinated with this place. And I wonder about that. Why is it that we want to go somewhere that's, that's like that? You know, to me, I would not want to go to Disney World while my kids would. I want to go, I would rather go into the mountains and go fishing and fly fishing and, um, you know, white water rafting. It's kind of things that go into my mind, and I've always told Rachel I would like to have, you know, that's kind of my picture of having some land and living in an environment like that. And I wonder about those things because when you start thinking about a lot of times, and I remember growing up, my parents talking about, this is what we want to do. We want to move to the point where we can move out in the country and do these things, and they had these plans. And I, I wonder about that innately within us. All these things we look forward to and we want to travel or we want to partake of, what if that's innately put within us? You know, sometimes we, we have these desires, right? And God, we could take those desires within us and we can use them in the wrong way, whether eating, drinking, uh, sexual desires, um, 
other things along those lines. We can misuse them or we can use them in the right way. And so when I think about that, I wonder, and it makes me wonder when I read these descriptions, that innately within us, God wants us to, and he wants us to desire eternity with Him, to, to live in a heavenly country. And that's just me thinking on the, on, on the subject personally, as I wonder about this, because I want our minds to be in such a way that I want to hope for Christ coming back. I don't want to be discouraged. You know, I remember as a kid, the thoughts of Jesus coming back, I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't come back right now. And I don't, I don't want to feel that way. And I don't feel that way now as a Christian. If Christ comes back, and I talk to my kids about this, and I said, what are you going to think when Jesus comes back? And as yet, they've never said what I said when I was a kid. They'll be like, yeah, that'd be great. We're ready for it. And so that's encouraging for me because I want us to have that kind of a, a hope of eternal life. I want to live for God and live for Christ because He's promised me this wonderful place that Christ has gone to prepare for me. And I, I want my children to have that kind of enthusiasm. And as I think about the things in, in, the, in the Scriptures, and I think I brought this up before, but 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 is often used where Peter says, always be ready to give a defense or give an answer for the hope that is within you. And I've always wondered about that because I've seen that passage used a lot, for instance, in defense of the faith. But notice there, it doesn't say the word faith, it says the hope. Can I defend the hope of eternal life? The one hope, Ephesians chapter 4, that God has promised to us. The one hope that Romans chapter 8 gives us in detail and says that we will have when our bodies are resurrected. I think I'm enthused by that. To think about that. So we're going to expand a little bit more on that this morning. Let's look right here in Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And this is what is, is pictured right here. Now, if you read Revelation chapter 20, you have Satan. He's being bound up in a chain and thrown into abyss. After a thousand years, he's released. He tries to deceive all the nations to um, persecute Christians, to surround the camp of the saints is what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. And then Christ comes back and he comes with fire. And the picture is there. And then judgment day comes. And then in the judgment day, and I think this is interesting, check me on this, but in Revelation chapter 20, I remember hearing a preacher say this one time and I thought, that's an odd concept. He said, you know, everybody's going to go to heaven. Now think about that for a minute. Because what he was talking about is when you read Revelation 20, the picture sounds like everybody who's being judged is in the presence of God. And then those who are sinful, when you've got the dividing of the sheep and the goats, the ones who are sinful are cast out into hell as though the other ones are already in the heavenly presence, in that place that God has promised for them. I hope you understand that. So that's in the end of Revelation 20. After that, you get a picture. After Judgment Day, right here, this is what we read. John says, Now I saw, remember he's seeing visions, these heavenly visions. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. We know from reading Scripture that the heavens and earth will pass away. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 says that the earth will perish, it will be changed. That's what it says, again, Hebrews chapter 1, 10 through 12. And it says, also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And often some have seen, well, this is only the church. 
Well, I definitely think it's picturing the church. And then some would say, well, this is only eternal life. And it's actually, I think, combining the thought of the two is that the church, the bride of Christ, is going to live in the presence of God. And Christ has prepared, God has prepared a city, prepared a place for us to live. This is what we hope for. And as we look at that, the questions are, okay, how much of this is literal? Let's keep reading. Verses 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle. I'm using New King James. If you're reading ESV, it says the dwelling of God. Notice this. The dwelling of God is with men. God's going to dwell in men. And as the picture in Revelation is, He is the light. There'll be no need of the moon and the sun and the stars because God will be the light in this glorious place where we live. And I think about those things, and there's no reason for me to not take that as, as true in this eternal abode, that God is going to dwell with man, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. As I read this, God is still glorious, He's still spirit, but Christ is bodily resurrected, and He'll be living with us in the midst of this place. So God is with us. It says, God Himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, sometimes we sing that hymn, it says, no tears in heaven. But notice what it says here, it says the tears will be wiped away. So it's, and a lot of people, they think, well, how can I go to heaven knowing this about so-and-so or somebody in my family who just lived a, I love them, but they didn't live a right life and they weren't faithful to Christ. How can I have any joy and what does the Scripture say? Well, first of all, it doesn't necessarily say there's no tears, but it says the tears will be wiped away. In fact, when you go to Revelation 22, like Garland read for us this morning, that there's a picture of the tree of life and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And so what we see here is God's making all things right. He's making a place where we can live and there won't be any sense of mourning for those who haven't made it there. That God is going to resolve that. He's going to wipe away those tears. And it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and they shall, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And you've got the picture of paradise. You know, when we begin reading the book, uh, when we begin reading the Bible, and you read Genesis, you start in paradise. And when you finish, the, and that's the first two chapters, when you finish, you end in paradise which God has given to us. That's what we're hoping for, is paradise. And another, and there is a picture of paradise, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about paradise being in heaven. The word paradise, and even here in chapter 22, describes this abode as a paradise. That means a garden, a beautiful garden. That's what the word paradise means. So God wipes away every tear. He takes away death, sorrow, and crying. And He says there will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. God makes all things new. That's what the next verse says in verse 5. So when I read this, one thing that needs to excite me as a Christian and give me hope is that a place is being prepared for me, for the faithful, to dwell in the presence of God. If you don't take anything else out of what we just read there, you'll be dwelling in the presence of God. That mourning and death and weeping and tears will cease. And that's worth hoping for. Because God has promised it to us. That's what we want. And many believers are saved today, but I find, again, like I illustrated in, in my teenage years and as a kid, I was just kind of like, God, don't come back yet. I still want to get married and have kids and do this and that. And 
That was my thinking, but I, I really didn't have a right picture of, of eternal life. I think it was distorted, and, and, and I, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect when Christ came back, because I had gotten all these different descriptions, you know, and some have been like, well, you're going to be a spirit floating around in some kind of abyss. Well, I don't want anything to do with that. And then you see these cartoons where you've got people sitting on fluffy clouds and playing on harps and things like that, and... That's not the picture in the Bible either. It is a bodily existence in a paradise, in a, in, a, in a heavenly country that God is giving to us. And I can't overemphasize that. We're going to look at the details of it. You go down a little bit further in Revelation 21 and you read this about that holy city, Jerusalem, that's coming out of heaven. That's going to be the abode of God's people. It says, And he carried me away into the Spirit to a great high mountain, and show me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. And the question is, is God, is this part of the promise? Is He promising us a literal, actual city for us to dwell in in eternity? We're going to answer that in a minute because the book of Hebrews tells us that. And Hebrews is not using any symbolism when it talks about it. And it says, having the glory of God, just the, the thought of that, that New Jerusalem, this place prepared for me, has the glory of God. I want to be a part of it. And what is that glory? Well, it's the radiance like a most rare jewel, he says. Like jasper, which is red, or clear as crystal. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates. When I start reading about these walls, you start thinking, I don't, I don't know about the literalism here. But to me, I want it either way. What God has given to me and promising to us, the, the faithful Christians. So there's a great high wall with 12 gates, and the gates there stand 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel will be inscribed. On, e on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And if that is the reality of it, that's going to be wonderful. And if that is the description, the actual description of the city, I want a part of it. When you keep reading there, you start reading that, as I recall, that the city, its walls, its height, its four square, as far as width, and, and it is 1,200 stadia. And I'm trying to put this into miles. I remember measuring it out, especially when I lived in Jacksonville. When you measure it out on the map across the United States, the length of the walls would be from Jacksonville, Florida, to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so when you think about that, it's, it's an amazing description. And so John seeing this, he's going to be in awe of this. And, and, and I wonder if John himself was wondering how much is this sign and how much is this is what we're really partaking of. So that brings us to the next question. Is this real? What parts of eternal life that we read about in Revelation are literal? You know, and I like having the picture in my head of the streets of gold of the waters of life. I like reading about those descriptions. I like reading about the tree of life that grows up on each side of the river and that each month there's a different fruit there that we eat from. You know, I want to have a picture. I want to have something within my heart because I know what the Bible tells me and I know what God has promised us certain things. And the reason I know that there's a literal city, and this is what I would make my case to you, is this is right here in Hebrews chapter 11, 13 through 16. So in Hebrews 11, it's called the, the faith chapter, right? And you've got all these people who believe. And 
the writer of Hebrews says they're hoping for something. What they did and the way they acted is because they were hoping for something more. They were promised something more, eternal life, and a, they were looking for a better homeland. Let's read the passage, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16. It says, these all died in faith. And you can go through and read those, Abraham and Sarah specifically uh, in the passages before. It says, not having received the promises. What promises have they not received? But they had seen them afar off and were assured of them. They embraced them. And I want to do that as a Christian. I want to embrace the promises of God of eternal life and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You ever think about yourself that way? I remember when I went off to college and I just living there for a year and then coming back home. It had been nine months. I come back home and it didn't feel like home anymore. And there are reasons for that. And I remember the, the places on the edge of town in Montgomery, there were these big trees that I like to drive through, were just torn down. That's what they do in Montgomery. They tear down all the trees, and they put a giant Walmart right there. I'm like, well, I guess we need another Walmart. I don't know. But it just didn't, things start, started not feel at home anymore. And a lot of that is, is reflective. You know, I, I want to go home. I want to be with my Creator and with Christ and with God. And I hope that's within all of our hearts. And so when I hear them saying and embracing and confessing that they are strangers and pilgrims on the earth, they're saying, I've got a promise from God, a homeland that He's going to give to me. Keep reading here. He says, For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And so that goes back to what I brought up in the very beginning. Don't you desire something wonderful within you to live and to dwell with God? I do. And so that's a part of that hope. The one hope that's been given to us. Let's keep reading. And he says, and if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, listen to this, they desire a better and heavenly country. Notice the description there. A heavenly country. It's a place in the presence of God that He has promised, a homeland they're looking for. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And so, the things and the details I read in Revelation, I might wrestle with. And I don't have all the answers on all that. But I do know when I read this that I should be looking for a heavenly country, a homeland, and that God has promised it to me as his faithful servant, and that he's promised a city. And so when I read those details in Revelation, I, I understand more of what is being said to me. What will eternal life be like? I want to look at some other details in Scripture about this. You have a description of a new Jerusalem that's re- mentioned right here, a city built by God. You can also read that in Hebrews 11 and verse 10. Revelation 3 and verse 12. Jesus' servants will worship him. So when you get the picture of us worshiping Him all the time, yes, that's a part of, of being in the presence of God. You're going to want to worship Him. Sorrow will cease and death will be no more. This is also a picture in Isaiah. When, in Isaiah, when you go and you read chapter 65 and starting in verse 17, it says God, God says, I will create a new heavens and new earth. And He talks about the city of the, the new Jerusalem where there will be no more pain or sorrow there. It's, it's there. That's what, that's what John is Part of what he's reflecting upon, other scripture from Isaiah. 
we see this, the nations will live at peace. And you get the description of the wolf and lamb uh, grazing together. And there are descriptions in the book of Isaiah of animals living together in peace. Will that be literal or not? That's something to think about. Uh, But the nations will live together in peace. That's something we definitely take as literal. All ethnicities and all people who are faithful and obedient to Christ will have this together. We'll live together in peace in the presence of God. We have a description in Isaiah 65, and the description is, is that they, the faithful, will build houses and plant vineyards. And when I read Isaiah, I just don't get the impression that that is figurative. I'll talk about that some more. The saved will eat and know others in God's paradise. And, and when I get that, especially Jesus says that we'll sit down to eat at the table in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Was that literal? Am I actually going to meet them? Am I actually going to sit down at the table with them? And the implication is to eat with them? I see no objection to that. Not that we need to eat to survive, but the mere fellowship. To be with those who have been faithful to God. To be together in that home. So the Creator creates. And as we read in Revelation, He makes all things new. And that's what we look forward to. Here's a part of the passage from Isaiah chapter 65. Look in verses 17 through 19. God says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall, be, shall not be remembered or come into mind. You think about that. When you're spending eternity with God and His presence in the heavenly country, what will you remember? Now, you do read about, for instance, with the rich man in Lazarus, the rich man is in the flame. He still remembers his, his family. He knows what he's going through and he remembers his actions in the past. But I think the point of this is when you're living in eternity and especially in the glory and the presence of God, that this world is just, this life is such a small thing in comparison. So he says, it shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Can you say that you do that? That you right now would be... You have joy in your heart, anticipation of eternal life. That you will rejoice in that. I mean, that's a part of it. And I remember, I'm trying to think of some of the songs that we were singing this morning that tied in with the lesson. And I was thinking, when we sing about the blessings of eternal life, do we do that? Is there joy behind it? Is there real hope behind it? And so we continue to read, For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. There's rejoicing, happiness there. He says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem. And there's this description again of creating Jerusalem for joy. This new place, this city that's promised for His people. And He says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in My people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And you can keep reading. You can open up Isaiah and keep reading after verse 19. The details that are there. I read other places and Revelation describes a new heaven and new earth. And there's been a lot of debate and discussion over that. How figurative this is. This is what I know about this. I know that this place is a part of the heavenly country. This is described as the new heavens and new earth. God is there. It is in His presence. It is heavenly. It's not like the Jehovah's Witnesses are like others. Like it's going to be created and be the same thing we have now. But that it is going to be heavenly in the presence of God. I want you to listen to what Peter says. Because Peter talks about the new heavens and new earth as literal. In fact, when you read Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, he talks about God creating the earth. 
Well, that's literal. And then he goes on and he says, and there was a flood. Well, I believe that was literal. That happened historically. Then he says that the earth uh, will be burned and exposed and that all the elements and the stars will all be burned up. And he talks about it as being literal, and I take it as true, that it, that's going to be reality. And then he says this. Read with me here in 2 Peter chapter 3, 11-13. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So he's given a warning. He says, looking for the for and the hastening of the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The ESV says the elements right there, it says heavenly bodies will burn with fervent heat. He says, nevertheless, according to his promise. What promise? God has promised us. He says, he says, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Yes, and that's the description of the heavenly country. And for Peter to say that, I can't say anything different. That's my hope, to have a part of this place. And we'll talk about it a little bit further. But God has prepared a place, and I want you to think of it in this way. It's compatible for your resurrected body. Your body will resurrect. It will be transformed, changed on the day, on the last day. That's what we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it will be compatible. As Christ says, I will prepare a place for you. And so when you think about the resurrection and your body taking on a different form and becoming heavenly and being transformed so that you can live in this heavenly place, this kingdom that God has prepared for us. I look forward to it. I'm eager for it. I kind of skipped ahead here. I want to note this. So is this world to come? Hebrews talks about it and calls it the world to come. Is it tangible, physical, or material? I often get that question, even about the resurrection. Let's take this point by point. Will it be physical? Well, by physical, if you look at the word for physical in the dictionary, it means, will it be bodily? Well, yes. I'm going to live there bodily. So in that sense, I can say physical. But I don't think that's what people mean when they ask, the, ask if it's physical. I think what they mean is that, will it be material? And what I see in the Scriptures is, is that it's going to be a transformation. It's going to be something, a matter which is greater than what we've experienced here. The other question is, will it be tangible? Because some people got the picture in their head, I'm going to live in eternity as a ghost. And it's not like I'm going to be able to touch anything. But tangible means you can touch it. And all the things I read about this heavenly kingdom is that it is tangible because we will be there in a resurrected body in the presence of God and of Christ for eternity. And so again, is it physical? In one sense, yes, but not, in the, not quite in the sense of being like matter today. It's not like this world. It's different. Is it going to be tangible? Is it going to be real? Yes. That's what we should, should be looking forward to. And as we finish this morning, ask the question in reading the book of Revelation. I want to use Revelation to this. Who's going to enter the new Jerusalem? Throughout the book of Revelation, we've seen who enters, the book, who enters this place, who enters the city, who enters into the heavenly country that has been prepared and promised to them. It's those who have their names written where? In the book of life. And we get other descriptions about them. And we, we can go to Revelation 21 and look in 24 to 27. We see that the, the nation of those who are saved will walk in the light of the Lamb. They're kings. There's a description of the kings and rulers coming and bringing glory and honor to God. And so there's an implication that there are rulers among the nations of the world who are going to be saved. 
And we're going to be the honor of each nation there. Different ethnicities will be again together in one church, one body in heaven, in this heavenly place. And it says, And the saved will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into the new Jerusalem, and only those written in the Lamb's book of life will enter God's holy city. That's been promised to us. I want you to look at this as well. Revelation 22, 14 and 15. Who will enter the heavenly city? We read this. Blessed are those who wash their robes. We just sang a song before we got up here about washing our robes in the blood. Those who wash their robes, and they're washed white, the descriptions are in Revelation, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, so they'll be able to live eternally with God, that they may enter the city by the gates. And it says here, it also tells us who's not there, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Or you can go to Revelation 21 and verse 8 and see that the cowardly and liars and other individuals will not have a part of this eternal place. I encourage you this morning, if you believe in Christ, that you follow Him and you believe in the hope and eternal life that He promises to you, if you're living in sin, do everything you can to change your life this morning. If you're struggling, if you've lost hope, go back and read these Scriptures. If there's others around you that you want them to have the same hope of eternal life, share the Gospel with them. Share them what you believe, that God has prepared a place for us, an eternal dwelling, a heavenly homeland. So John, in praising, he said in Revelation 1 and verse 5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Our sins are washed away in the blood of Christ. We're cleansed. Those are those who are going to enter this city Revelation 7 and verse 14, the saved washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Only in Christ can we be made white. Uh, our robes are clean so that we can enter into His kingdom. I encourage you this morning, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, do it. And obeying the gospel means that you believe in Christ, that He rose from the dead, that you're going to confess that He is the Lord, that He rose from the dead, that you're going to repent of your sins. That you're going to be baptized and buried with Christ so that when you're buried, you bury that old person in death so that you rise in the newness of life and that resurrection symbolizing the hope that you have for eternity. We see this, the faithful enter the heavenly country. Are you ready for it? Is your life right? And do you have the hope and have the ability to defend what you believe this morning? I hope that you do. Let's sing together now. If you need prayers and encouragement, come right now.